Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, uh, we have a lot to cover today, and I thank you for joining me. Uh, go to ProAmericaReport.com, get the daily email sent to you if you want to get updated on what we've been talking about and what we're covering. I actually am uh, really pleased uh, and honored. I was over on Frank Speech TV hosting uh, the Tamara Scott show. She's an old friend of mine, Tamara Scott. She's a leader out of Iowa, national leader, conservative. And uh, she had a commitment today that she couldn't do. So I filled in for her. So I spent an hour on frankspeechtv.com. And it was very cool. It was very cool. I have to tell you a quick story. Um, When Frank Speech TV, excuse me, it's frankspeech.tv. I keep doing that. Um, So, uh, and when I, frankspeech.com also, when I, I was there when it launched, um, it's a funny, interesting story. It's about a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, and I was with General Flynn, Mike Flynn, and uh, Joe Flynn, Mike's brother, General Flynn's brother. And we flew on a private plane from uh, Florida over to uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Memphis or Nashville? I'm embarrassed to admit. Uh, we only went from the plane to uh, the studio, and that's where they launched Frank Speech. And it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. It was um, it was really, really cool to see. It was actually the, the most interesting part of it in some ways was watching um, the uh, it, watching the um, uh, action, watching uh, Mike Lindell in action. Because for all of his attention, all the things that you hear about him and all the kinds of uh, ways he's depicted, he's he's a success because he's very, very talented. And so in the setting of this launch of Frank speech, um, he was amazing. He was on air for a bunch of it. He was managing details. At one point, his um, his phone number got released. I think it was his phone number out to the press. And he was um, suddenly inundated, excuse me, it was released uh, by a, uh, someone who found it somewhere and they put it out on the internet. And suddenly on the day when he was supposed to be talking to media, especially who did have his phone number, um, he was getting inundated by calls from nutjobs and yahoos and, and weirdos and wackos. And so he had to regroup uh, and seeing him uh, operate under, uh, under uh, pressure was also incredible. It just was a great experience. And, uh, and as you can see, he does nothing. Uh, without a sense of, if I can say, um, uh, stamina. And he's been at this for a long time. And I think Frank Speech uh, TV has started to bloom, right? It's started to blossom. It's uh, taking a lot more time and energy and he's being blocked at every turn. And so he's got a lot of, um, yeah, it's outside of Memphis is where we were. Uh, Brandon House, the very talented guy who uh, has uh, produced his program. So uh, if you get a chance, find that on the uh, internets and tune in there. All right. Uh, We've got a couple of great interviews today. Very important. One from uh, our old friend, uh, Armstrong Williams. Um, And he is extraordinary perspective, entrepreneur, African-American, conservative Christian, 
And his perspective, he's been doing his Armstrong Williams TV show and his weekly column for decades. Um, And so he has a sense of perspective on both the media and also just on American life. He's very good. And so we'll talk with him. We'll also talk with Todd Bensman. I have to say, Todd Bensman of the Center for Immigration Studies, we need more of Todd Bensman all across the place. I wish I could put him up on TV everywhere because his what he's talking about, and I was texting with him uh, um, about this interview you know, the border is just pure chaos and it's not getting better. It's getting worse and nobody's really paying attention. Now he says, and I think he's right, that it's an issue that's going to be uh, top of mind for a lot of voters in the fall, mostly Republicans. But right now it's not the top of mind for anybody. And, and I think it's being ignored by the media, ignored by the White House. Um, one question I've heard him answer, which we'll circle back to again, um, is if there is a change in leadership in the United States House and Senate, what could they change? How could they change it? What could they do? And, and he said, he has said in the past, the only play really is a shutdown because ultimately the control of the immigration issues comes through the White House. So we'll talk with Todd Benzman in a few moments. All right. We just have a shortened wink today, what you need to know. And so just let me cover something. Following up on the story, we've now had Sunday, Monday, both of the front page of the New York Times talking about Joe Biden's age being problematic, his ability to do his job being problematic. Now, on Tuesday, on Tuesday morning, I think it was, I'm looking for the notes. Um, There it is. Tuesday morning, Politico writes a piece that says and describes in detail that one of the progressive groups, which means the more liberal groups out there, is going to attack Biden with an ad campaign telling him not to run. So at what point are we witnessing only what? Let's see. January of 2021 is that February, March, April, May, June, July. Let's say 16 months into the presidency, the his own party's quit on him. That's what I'm seeing. That's what looks pretty clear to me. What you need to know is it's a it's a wholesale movement now, and right now the movement is to get rid of Joe Biden. And get him to not to not to run and make him announce. Here's the here's the tricky part. As they pressure him, when he finally announces that he's not going to run, it's going to look like he was pressured. It, you're kind of you're not just boxing in the president, like going to his office quietly, the leaders and saying, hey, you can't run. You're publicly pressuring him in such a way that if he doesn't run, it'll look like he caved. It'll actually make it look like. He didn't know what he was doing all this time or part of the time, for sure. It's, you know, sometimes <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Joe Biden wanted to be president so badly, he ran a bunch of times, and um, now he got it. He may be headed towards not just the Jimmy Carter loss, but a kind of Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson at least won one race. He was able, you know, he was able to get elected actually after he took over of Kennedy. But and, I, and Biden won his one, I guess he'd say. But at this point, he's like Johnson. He's going to be forced to yield. He's going to be forced to not run. Whether he admits it to himself or, or, or otherwise, that's what's where it's headed. So uh, that's what you need to know. That's where it's headed. And I think it's only going to get worse after the uh, election in the fall. Uh, you're going to see the pressure for him to not run. And then say hello to Senator Hillary Clinton running again. That's the word on the street. <laughs> More on that later. We'll take a break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. No introduction needed for our next guest, Todd Benzman. Uh, he's been on the show. He's like a co-host almost. He's on the show regular. He's uh, with the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. He's the national Senior National Security Fellow, and his book, which is on my shelf right across from me right now, is America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the, of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. He's the expert, my expert on the border. Uh, welcome back, Todd. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Thank you for having me again. All right. So um, give me an update. I mean, just a general. I just I just did an interview earlier with uh, Roger Stone. I said, give me an up 50, 50, give me 50,000 foot view of the problem. In, in this case, for Roger, I said the culture of America right now where we are. But now 50,000 feet, uh, you're up above this. Where are we in this? Are we in the middle of the end, the end of the beginning? Where are we? What can you tell what's going on? Right. Well, I mean, the best way to follow along with the border crisis, and it is a border crisis, is to look at the monthly statistics, the apprehension statistics that come in. And so the ones for June are um, freshly in and, you know, beat another uh, all-time record. Last month beat an all-time record before it. The month before that beat an all-time record before it. And so it's just this stair-stepping, escalating um, straight to the sky kind of um, apprehension rate. So we're looking at, you know, we're still looking at, you know, uh, 7,000 a day coming in, uh, pushing it, pushing uh, 8,000. And that's, that's just the ones we know about. Uh, You know, we always talk about the gotaways, the gotaway numbers are going to be 50 to 60,000 also uh, extra a month. So, if we take it all together, we're at about since the inauguration, about 3.5 million apprehensions, uh, 3.5 million times that border patrol had to lay hands on an illegal immigrant crossing the border, uh, which is just unheard of for a time span, like 18 months. Mm -hmm. And then, of the 3.5 million, you know, not all of them got in. A, a bunch of them were, were Title 42 returned back to Mexico. But the total number that we uh, know have been in, allowed to be admitted into the country by the Biden administration, in other words, process in, is about um, 1.4 million hmm. in that time. And then um, there are about 800,000 estimated gotaways. So we're looking at 2.1, 2.2 million people have actually entered the country that we know of. It's probably much more than that. Uh, So if you project that forward another 18 months at this rate, you're looking at 4 million. uh, And by the end of the Biden administration, 7 million. Um, we're talking with, uh, Todd Benzman, uh, Todd, is it, is anything changing in terms of the public, uh, well, um, conduct? I mean, I remember six months ago, you said, Hey, even the Biden administration, uh, realizes that this can't go on. Maybe they're going to have to do something, but it doesn't look like they are right. So, uh, is, is there anything, anything changing the trajectory? Or are we just on the trajectory for ever and ever? Amen. I mean, I've tried to ha- to offer a you know sliver of hope. Uh, there, there have been uh, there, there is a conflict within the White House over this. There are moderates 
worried about the elections coming up that are trying to do things to shut it down, to slow it down, Trumpian things. But the problem is that they're still doing so many other enticing policies that it's not enough to overcome the net gain. Uh, People still around the world see the border as mostly open with high chance of getting through. So they're coming because we're still letting so many people in as long as you're just letting people in uh, you're, you're just never going to end that enticement of people coming from around the world. Unfortunately, I don't see a trajectory change here uh, from what I'm seeing down on the border. People are just pouring in uh, through the Darien gap through Costa Rica, Panama, Colombia in huge numbers from around the world. Uh, this one, this particular immigration crisis is unique in a lot of different ways, but in one of the most unique ways, it it's multinational to an, uh, to an extent that we've never seen before. 47.5% of everybody who entered the border uh, across the border was from somewhere other than Central America or Mexico. Almost half are from all around the world, 150 countries. Uh, you know, that's really unusual. And one of the reasons is because the secretary, I mean, one of the many reasons, Secretary of uh, DHS Mayorkas went down there and arranged with the Panamanians for a short route through the Darien Gap, which is a very dangerous. So whereas it was seven to 10 days before they had the Panamanian Navy uh, back off to pull back to let the migrant boats land at a, at a spot where it's two days to to cross into Mech to Panama, and that's just you know they that's like a, they opened a new super highway, made it easier, cheaper, uh, less deadly maybe, but certainly not less voluminous. Uh, Todd Benzman is our guest again. Uh, he is the senior fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, if you go to uh, Twitter at Benzman Todd at Benzman Todd B E N S M A N, follow him there. Uh, he tweets good stuff, follows good stuff. Um, so Todd, uh, will the issue? I, so you're seeing all these realities, and of course, in the last three weeks, we had this terrible tragedy that was covered um, somewhat, which is people trapped in a in a truck and suffocating and all, and that got some attention. And of course, there's lots of uh, incidents that are happening every day, uh, but that aren't covered. Um, but uh, do you is the issue of the border, the southern border, uh, will it be a part of the falls? election cycle because it feels like a lot of the republicans that don't know how to handle it they, they worry they're going to get called racist if they say anything so they don't know how to handle it and they're, they're still not sort of getting ready you know broadly i'd say maybe there are members of the republican party running that will hit the issue especially in primaries but do you think in the fall there'll be people saying yeah inflation i got it high gas prices i got it crime in the country yep and man that open border is a problem or is it just not breaking through like that well, my reading on the polls uh, of the issue show that it's it's really um, among the top uh, three or four issues for Republican voters consistently. 
So if candidates uh, don't tap into that, uh, they're going to lose. They have to pay attention to this because the public, the Republican voting public cares very, very much about that issue. And also among Democrats, it's an issue. Uh, it's not as high up, but I mean, it's, it's in the top 10, top, usually in the top 10, sometimes 12, 13, but that's still pretty far up there for Democrats. Uh, so I think it's kind of going to be an issue here. I don't know how it's not. There are lots of other uh, great issues for Republicans to campaign on, you know, inflation being the top one. Uh, but I do believe that this they're not going to be able to uh, avoid this. The, mm. the, the people really care about this, but the border issue with all these millions of people coming in. It's really unusual this is just not your normal thing happening at the border, no matter what they say. This is something really uh, beyond American experience, this thing. Uh, we're talking with uh, Todd Benzman, Center for Immigration Studies, a senior national security fellow. Um, is the, uh, is the, the um, are the Republicans, the, well, no, I won't ask the Republicans. I'll say, what would you do right now if you could try to say address the worst of this? Like, what are the steps? Or maybe, okay, I will say it. If there's new leadership in the House and Senate, what could they do right away? Is it, you know, Jason Smith, the congressman from Missouri, who's on the senior member on the budget committee, he told me that there was, uh, I don't know, over a billion dollars appropriated for the wall and Biden's just not allowing it to be spent. Um, well, I mean, what are the concrete things that could be done? Or is truly this issue going to stay in the executive branch? And so it doesn't really matter until the election of 2024 the real power over illegal immigration stopping it starting it is in the oval office that's really where the the levers are right the a republican controlled com congress like if they have both chambers solidly have the senate also right. you know not <clears throat> not by one or something they need to have have it by two or three but um, they could they could cause um, some leverage there. They, they, we, we would have we've seen this before. We would have government shutdowns kind of thing um, over the issue. We've seen this before. Uh, and that has I mean, that has pros and cons. You know, people don't like when you shut the government down, you know, right. uh, they could they could do things like that. I think that you'll see. Uh, an effort to impeach Mayorkas over the border. Mm -hmm. You'll definitely see articles in, of impeachment on that. And you'll also, you might even see somebody try an impeachment of Biden over this, over the border issues too, because, you know, the Republicans, especially on the, on the farther right uh, part of the, the coalition, believe that the Biden administration has broken the law and that they have justification to bring articles. So, you know, you could see, you'll see that. I think that's going to be mostly political theater. Um, and uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but whatever, I think you'll see it. Um, but ultimately it's an executive authority. I mean, if, if the white house is saying, Hey, let, let them in, uh, then you're going to have, you know, millions of people coming in because mm -hmm. there's, it's up to the, it's up to the administration, you know, the, 
state of Texas has been trying all sorts of things and they just can't pull it off. Nobody can pull it off, you know, to stop the illegal immigration. Yeah, it's uh, well, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. All right. We've got to run. Uh, thank you, as always, Todd Benzman, uh, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, and follow him at Benzman Todd on Twitter. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, a few weeks ago, we had on the uh, Collegian Summit, the Phyllis Schlafly Collegian Summit, lots of different folks. We had elected officials, congressmen. We had former bureaucrats, think tankers. And one of the guys who stole the show was Armstrong Williams, who I think Armstrong, I don't know, call you an entrepreneur, also uh, for decades now, a uh, media personality, a journalist. There's lots of hats you can wear. And also my friend, which has probably moved up your resume pretty high now. But uh, so welcome back. Welcome back. I think you've been on the radio show a while ago, but welcome back. Armstrong, how are you today? I can't complain. Good, good. So here's my first what I think about with you is you've observed. And so you would be described by people as a conservative, uh, identifiably Christian and a conservative businessman, uh, but not somebody who's particularly um mean about it or fights with anybody you get along with people and and generally and and but for decades now so here we are and and i think you would have i think you would have said lots of things trump did as president was good and some things weren't and all um but so here we are with the biden uh, economy and the biden administration but more importantly just the general way people feel is the media making us feel like things are terrible when they're really not for most people and we're being driven nuts by the media, or do we have a real problem in this country? Um, we have a real problem in this country. Um, and it's a serious problem. And the last week was unusual for sure. And um, the global turmoil is really expanding. I mean, we had this mass shooting in South Africa over the weekend. And it seems as though our media is following the, instructions for a liberal new world order almost called to me it's like a communism light um, mm-hmm. they don't hold accountable the ignorance of aoc about impeaching justice thomas where uh, the chairman of the senate judiciary committee dick durbin has to go on fox sunday to repudiate trying to impeach him i mean she said some of the most ignoramus things and they don't challenge her to make her feel as though she's saying something intelligent the American public ed is fed the steady diet of hate toward the Supreme Court and individual justices. The active measures pounding of the message, the court is wrong and illegitimate. And you got these rulings are illegitimate. And then the man that Biden issues some executive order overriding the court. I mean, Ed, we are no longer a nation of laws. And the left constantly says we are ruled by, and I got to tell you, I believe we're ruled by executive fiat. And the laws don't matter. The bubble is a perfect analogy. And our narrative is shaped for us. And the media just follow along. It doesn't matter what they say about whether the January 6th, whether Trump commandeered a vehicle, which is the, 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 his chauffeur vehicle, which the CIA, Secret Service has vehemently denied. They don't care. They don't change the narrative. They don't try to add some kind of fact-finding, intelligence, common sense into the debate. All they want, everything is that hate Trump, negative Trump, 
that will indict Trump and forget about whether the people they called to testify before the committee have been vetted or not. And then we got this crazy energy crisis, which could be diffused with the Biden policy reversal. Finish the Keystone Pipeline, Ed. We have mm-hmm. 850,000 barrels of oil per day to Texas that would drive the price of, tax of these gas prices down. And yet, and it would also help us stabilize the market. What do we do? The president doing one thing to help the American people would be well-received. And what is that? It is for him to reverse the Keystone Pipeline, and he won't do that. And now he's on his way to Saudi, which is ridiculous. They don't want him. They didn't invite him. They're, they're bulldozing. They're bullying their way into Saudi Arabia. And the White House cannot bully their way into Saudi and demand to meet with the leadership. It, I mean, it is insulting. It is rude. And the UAE and the Saudis, as well as the rest of the world, are so disgusted with the Biden administration. And, and look, Ed, it's just chaos. It's not. Is it real? I mean, it's a nightmare what's going on in this country. I mean, just to talk about it gets my blood. Yeah, cool. well, I can see that. So Armstrong Williams, by the way, go to armstrongwilliams.com and you can see his uh, his TV show, The Armstrong Williams Show, which is uh, uh, airs nationally. He also does, uh, he does, I don't know how often, if it's every day, but Facebook Live, he does these great uh, commentaries and discussions uh, often in the morning. So, okay, I, I got it, Armstrong, but let me go back to something else. You often talk, I've heard you talk about your late mother and your family, and you take great pride in your family or your upbringing and how you had confidence your whole life because of your family and, and the gifts you got, that you got confidence to take chances and to, to take risks and to be successful. The thing that feels the worst to me is that generations now, maybe everybody under 30, all they're hearing and feeling is anxiety. Like they're not even, they're not even, you know, we, you and I love to talk. I always ask you about your friend, your dear friend, Dr. Carson, you know, like he's the ultimate story of coming from, you know, the American, I don't know, broken family chaos. And he made it huge success and all young people. They don't even think the American dream is possible. And once you don't believe in it, that confidence that you got Armstrong because you had that family and the encouragement and all that confidence is not there and, and everything stops. Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, that's, that's, that's um, what you're saying is important here. Listen, taking risk to achieve goals require um, courage yeah. and, and the courage to face the fear of uncertainty. And I think what's happening and the narrative today with COVID, um, with stimulus money, uh, with the woke um, progressives, is that we're coddling a younger generation. We're making them believe that they cannot make it on, on their own. The government has to take care. Of, and, and, and no matter the outcome, either way, we grow through the process of taking risks and become more resilient and confidence. And I think even better yet, building those skills help in taking more risk and improve the chances of building the greater American society and, and, and building the character and the foundation of people. I've learned the best lessons I've learned through life is through struggle and strife because life is short. And many of us spend time wondering what we should do with our lives rather than actually going out there and trying um, to add more tools to our toolbox take a risk. Um, and even though you may not like the job, there are things that you can gain from the jobs. You don't, you don't work on a job just because you like it, especially when you're young. 
there are skills that you can take from that job. That job, you know, when I grew up, I didn't enjoy working on my parents' farm in the tobacco field and the cotton field and slopping swine and tending the cattle. But their work ethic and the discipline that make me appreciate why there was food on the table and clothing on my back and why my parents could pay for my education. Because as the Bible says, we should work by the sweat of our brows. So taking risk and work ethic is important there because you put yourself on the line and you can create a whole new set of opportunities for yourself now and in the future. And you might even achieve what you originally set out to do. But you got to open these doors. I mean, even if you fall flat on your face, which which many of us have done from time to time, taking a risk will be beneficial because it prepares you for life. Just like in a marriage, you know, the honeymoon, the engagement, but the fact of the matter is that's only for a day and a moment. You still have to live with that person. And sometimes in the first year, you ask yourself, who am I married to? What did I do with my life? You got to work through those yeah. things. Did then my you wife, had kids my, to it. You got to yeah. work through it. it was my, wife, my wife must have called you again, Armstrong. Dang it. Shoot. Uh, no. Uh, okay. But now but my back to my bigger point, Armstrong. The air that you were brought up in to breathe deeply all the way in through the 80s, you know, and Reagan and all, when you've talked about it, you in the, in the Reagan White House, I've seen the photographs of you there and all. And all the way th- these decades, the air was filled with a sort of um, a fragrance of go for it. And if you fail, okay, but you can come back. My point is between COVID and the media and big government, and as you point out, when you used to be, you could make a mistake and you could change course. Biden's teams clearly made a mistake on energy. They refuse to change course. And, and people look up and say, it's not just stubborn. It's not, it's self, it's like self-negating. It's like self-hate. And then you look at kids and you see young people and you say, they're not just being dumb. They're like self-hating what they do with the images and the, and the abuse, the alcohol and drug abuse and all. And my point is back to my question is Armstrong again, for decades, you've been a close observer. You've interviewed all the famous, great people and not famous people that were great. What's, what's changed. And then the thing is, can we change it back? Because well, it's not just, it's not just I, a present present doesn't think, solve it. I think what has changed is that, our heroes and sheroes when we were growing up were our parents. We had strong fathers. We had morals. We understood right from wrong. We're talking with Armstrong Williams again. Armstrongwilliams.com is his website. If you, if Armstrong, if you, I'm seeing you. Yeah, 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 there I, you go. I, I okay, gotcha. Yeah, no. So you said uh, the last, the last we, our listeners heard you say we had uh, strong family, strong fathers, and then keep going. Strong Sorry. fathers. We had building blocks. We had respect for our neighbors. We knew there was something greater than mankind. We had faith in God. We believed there were consequences to the choices that we we made. We did not depend on others to take care of us. My father always said, "You you you eat what you kill," and and karma can be a nightmare. Of life is like a trumpet. Whatever you put into it is exactly what you would get out of it. We were taught it was okay to fall off the swing. It was okay to fall out of the tree. It was okay to fight the bullets with your fisticuffs and not with weapons. It's okay sometimes to come home with a black eye because you learn how to defend yourself. We were not caught. And so, you know, we, we were able to build character. We were able to build discipline. We were able to sacrifice a lesser good for a greater good. We did not have the microwave oven mentality where we wanted to see the fruits of our labor and our hard work right away. We know good things and those things that happen, happen. Uh, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. We were willing 
to work hard. And even if the results were not what we wanted to be, it did not shake our faith. It did not shake our foundation. And so, and we felt we were not just working for ourselves. We're working to build building blocks with our communities, with our neighbors, with our churches, with our schools. Uh, And so today, so much of today is about selfishness. It's about me, 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 me. And we didn't have to deal with these issues of he, she, and these different pronouns. We did not have to deal with trying to be indoctrinated with a transgenderism and and the left just trying to take over the schools. We we did not have to face um, uh, drag queens having read-alongs with us in the classroom. We were never confused about having to discuss our sexuality at a young age because those things were not important. We were taught to read. We were taught arithmetic. We were taught math. We were taught history, real subject matters that really enhanced us and created real skills. And also, we got an education. We did not, we did not come from a school where 50% of the whole school district had a 1.0 GPA, GPA, grade point average. Our parents were involved in our education. Not only did our parents read to us, we read to our parents. So we had real skills. So when we graduated from high school, I mean, I had vocational class where I took welding, where I took carpentry. So I had real skills that I developed that whenever these opportunities came along, I could take advantage of it now, of it. Education has failed our kids. kids. The prison system has failed our kids. Um, and the unions have, have, have become almost mafia-like, where they can sc- control the teachers, they control the school system, where their goal is not for kids to learn. It's just that they want to get paid. They want to unionize. But in terms of the results of what they're producing, it's just not there. We're talking Armstrong Williams, armstrongwilliams.com to listen to, uh, to watch his show and all his different stuff there, including his uh, books over the years. Uh, Armstrong, a final question. Um, I don't know. I got two questions, but I'll, 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 maybe I'll wrap them both together. Two of the people that I know you count as friends over a long time, Clarence Thomas and Ben Carson are, are the perfect example of success. And yet they're vilified in the media. I mean, they're vilified worse than almost anyone else when they should be, no matter what their positions, they should be the best, like the best of America is you come from a broken family and you make it big and you're well-adjusted and people, and you succeed radically and they're just vilified. And so again, if you're, if you're normal, when you look up, you say, huh, I'd like to be like him, but I sure don't want to get beat on like him. McLaren's Thomas, for example, and his family and all, and, and Ben Carson happily in a way he's not, since he's not in politics the same way anymore, he's not quite as a, a target, but how do you, how do you justify, how do you explain that to young people who look up and say, I'm not going to say a thing about anything. I'm just keep my head down. You know, Jesus Christ was crucified. <laughs> yeah. Peter was beheaded. Many of the disciples of Jesus died horrific deaths. If you look at some of the men that God used in the Bible to do his greatest work, they were all flawed men. Um, look at Job and what happened to Job, his journey, and how God still blessed him at the end. You know, uh, while people may look on the sidelines and pity Dr. Carson and pity um, Justice Thomas, I mean, look at what happened to Robert Bork. Look at the treatment of former President Donald Trump right now. You know, this is the price you pay and an American society that's becoming more communist and more socialist by the week. Uh, this is a price you pay when you stand up for leadership, when you stand up for virtues, you stand up, stand up for morals. It's a small price to pay when you care about, when you learn, when you remember human struggle, human striving from the Holocaust, from slavery to the insurrections, 
uh, from the Crusaders. This is just the price you pay. It's a very small price. And I tell you, I think the greater the, greater the price you pay, the harsher the journey, the more God lifts you up and blesses you and protects you and builds you for his true purpose in life. So I yeah. have no problem with the, with, the, with the arrows and the slings that people throw at you. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is that uh, if you got the character and if you have the faith in God realizing that your blessings come from God, not from men, because listen, freedom is not really free. It takes just as much to maintain it as it did to establish it. Freedom requires that you have to have courage and conviction. It doesn't mean you're in the majority, but one person with courage and conviction is a majority. And the freedom comes from God, not from man. And it takes just as much to maintain it as it did was to acquire it. Yeah, well said. Well said. All right, Armstrong Williams, thank you. I knew it'd be great to talk to you on the radio. Thank you very much. Armstrong Williams, everybody, we'll uh, put up on social media uh, all his links, and we'll have you back again, Armstrong. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate and respect what you do. Well, thank you. Thanks. All right, everybody, we'll take a quick break. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com. All these uh, segments are linked over there, and I'll put this over on the podcast and blast it out. You can sign up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know at ProAmericaReport.com. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Few doubt the enormous influence of Hollywood on culture and politics, but the video game industry is many times larger and more consequential. In video games, spectators don't merely watch while eating popcorn, but are drawn into the game as participants. In violent video games, these participants win or lose based on how many people they kill. As America tries to grapple with the question of what's causing the unconscionable evil being committed by boys and young men in mass shootings, we should not discount the influence of violent video games. As a point of comparison, the film industry had box office receipts of only $11 billion at its peak, which was in 2019, before the COVID pandemic caused movie revenue to drop sharply. Meanwhile, the video game industry, at $60 billion per year, surged in revenue during the pandemic, as more teenage boys stayed in their rooms playing these games for many more hours each day. Video game playing is up 14% over its already high levels in 2020, such that the average player wastes nearly 8.5 hours weekly on video games. A quarter of all players spend more than 12 hours per week on these games, which is enough to hold a part-time job or learn a useful skill instead. One survey found that 14% of respondents play video games daily during work hours. Binge gaming, which may be a key factor in mass shootings, has also increased by 13% since 2020. A third of gamers say that they sometimes play for five hours in a row. The video game industry is always quick to point out that studies have not yet proven a link between exposure to violent video games and violent actions. But those studies fail to account for the host of other contributing factors which can combine to severely damage a teenager's development. Does anyone really believe that staring at a screen, engaging in glorified depictions of gratuitous violence for a dozen hours a week, won't have a major effect on a developing brain? That's just common sense, and conservatives should never back down from it. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, we are uh, wrapping things up today. Just got a couple minutes. Let me say, uh, first of all, uh, tomorrow we're going to talk with um, Armstrong Williams. Armstrong Williams uh, is on the program tomorrow, and he's got a column out. He writes a column over at The Hill, thehill.com. I'll put it up on social media. It's pretty good. It's really good. It's about um, Hillary Clinton said how uh, Justice Thomas uh, was always an aggrieved guy or some nonsense. She knew him in law school. Of course, I think he was a couple of years behind her in law school, didn't really know her. And um, the uh, and and anyway, Armstrong Williams writes a great column. He knows uh, Clarence Thomas for decades and decades, and uh, it's it's great. So I will put that up on social media. Take a look at that and look forward. If you look at that, then uh, we'll be talking with Armstrong Williams tomorrow. So again, thehill.com, armstrongwilliams.com is his website. And this column, this column his uh, recent column is really great. So, all right, let me uh, thank you. Excuse me. Let me thank our, um, our great uh, producer, uh, Noah Dingley as well as our associate producer, Joanna Spilger, and you for listening. And don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and follow all that's going on. Sign up for the daily email and all the rest. Thanks for listening. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. This is the ProAmerica Report on The Answer San Diego.